0: Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is made possible with the support of Hotel Connections, the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. HotelConnections.com Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com airlines. Seabury Capital Group, global reach, global scale. SeaburyCapital.com And the Boyd International Aviation Forecast Summit, this October in Cincinnati. Visit airlinesconfidential.com to attend at a reduced rate. We also welcome your business's support. Info at airlinesconfidential.com.
1: I'm feeling so lazy today that I'm not even motivated enough to come up with an insult for this guy. He's Ben Baldanza, former CEO of Spirit Airlines who now teaches about how airlines work. And I'm so lazy that I don't even have a comeback for that non
2: insult. By here and now's transportation analyst Seth Kaplan.
1: Pushing back from the gate, this is Airlines Confidential, the show where we share the secrets of the airline industry and debate all the crazy things that happen in the airline world each week. Today we're going to talk about, well, I don't know, we'll figure something out. And yeah, good idea,
2: Seth. Let's just wing it. What could possibly go wrong?
1: Oh, I don't know. Okay, so here's what's going on. We're recording this show shortly before the debate, the presidential debate, the first one, right? And uh, I... I just ran out of time to write as structured of a script, you know that we usually write together here, and so, uh, so yeah, so th- this is going to be a more freeform show than usual. We'll see how it goes because maybe it'll be great, and I'll like never have to work again. Well, so, so let me ask, my real ask, job.
2: How, yeah, let me ask that. How much did you pay in taxes last year? <laughs> And and you think Aubriana is going to be working for Ukraine someday? Or? <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, well, that's why I want to watch the
1: debate. But, you know, uh, everybody, I think, is always with a presidential election waiting for an October surprise, right? And here we are in the last days of it, September. But I think we already got our October surprise from United Airlines and its pilots, uh, you know, we knew that Delta was avoiding layoffs, at least for now. Uh, it's non-union workforce It sort of did that unilaterally, came to an agreement with its pilots. Again, we'll see how the long term goes. Uh, the Southwest, similar. But up until now, of those giant four airlines, you had American and United both slated to have things go really badly in, in, in a couple of days. And to be clear, things are not going to be good for anybody, but there it was, uh, just, just the day before the, uh, the the deadline for there to be some kind of a congressional deal, uh, an agreement by United and its pilots to avoid nearly 3,000 furloughs. Now, look, this is just until November. I mean, again, we don't want to overstate the importance of this, but obviously, if you're a United pilot, uh, this is good news. Uh, ben, uh, so at this point, again, American just kind of out there is the one that hasn't come to some kind of an agreement to avoid uh, maybe the very worst, even though I know it's obviously doing what it can to, uh, to, to, to keep people productive to the extent possible. Uh, what do you make of this? And, and I guess first I would ask you, did you, did you see this coming? Because I didn't. I didn't see it coming completely, although you've seen it at
2: some other airlines. And so it's not completely surprising. You know, American United have been competitors for decades. And one of the unfortunate things they've competed against is the airline with the most acrimony with their labor union. (laughs) And and so it looks like now Americans winning that battle for sure, Uh, given that United's been able to reach that kind of deal and AA just hasn't announced that yet. Now, if you want to be a conspiracy theorist or an AA groupie or something, you can say, well, they're really close to a deal, but they really want the government to give them aid. So they're not going to say anything yet. But I think it's probably more that they've just had a hard time working with them.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to run the risk here of like dating ourselves by <laughs> by asking you how likely a deal is. It certainly seems like there's a lot else going on in this country right now. But a lot of times deals happen at, at, at the last minute. But yeah, this this is uh, still something where demand, it seems to me, would have to rebound considerably, or at least United and the airlines that have sort of done these short-term deals would have to feel like there is enough of a demand rebound on the horizon in another month or two to avoid long-term pain. If there's no deal, am I right about that? I mean, there's right there's just like still a gap between the amount of demand that's out there in the marketplace. And the amount of people, the number of people who will be employed come October 1st, thanks to these these deals, which, which obviously we're very happy to see.
2: No, I think that's right. And, you know, just today, Seth, I watched this presentation, a webinar that was done by Bain, the uh, you know the well-known consulting group. And it was all about sort of ways to think about airline recovery. And so when I saw that was coming out, I said, I'm going to sign up for this and listen to it. And I was fascinated by some of the data that they showed. They they had a lot of survey data that looked at people, not just whether or not someone would travel or not, but people who traveled a lot last year. What did they think about traveling now? And people who went to theme parks a lot last year, what did they think about going to theme parks now and things like that? Not just generically, would you fly right now or not? But specifically going to people who, pre-COVID, did these activities a lot. And what are they thinking about it? And the interesting thing that they showed was that people who have flown a lot in the last couple of years are pretty realistic and eager about getting back on short flights within the U.S., but are still not convinced that they want to be on a long-haul flight yet. And these are people who do it a lot. So that makes me would make me a little worried if I'm an airline that flew a lot of wide bodies, long distances, that even the people who've done that stuff a lot are not quite sure if they're ready to do that now, even when they might be ready to take a short trip again. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, no, I I think that's that's always to some degree been the expectation, right, that it would uh, be it would come back in layers. Uh, they say you peel away layers of an onion, right? But it's, it's almost like building the onion back in in layers. Although I suppose you can't unpeel an onion, right, Ben? Or, or is that am yeah. I, 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 I conflating? Uh, am, right? am, <laughs> am I am I am I am I, right? Am I am I am I conflating my uh, my metaphors here? But no, I I, I think that makes sense. And uh, and you know I've seen that. I think we all see that in our own lives, right? That that we we all have a different spectrum of risk tolerance. But I think we're all doing those things that, to us at least, seem less risky than other things, right? And and uh, and and that that makes sense. I uh, living now in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Went last week. I took Abriana to it's called Zoo America over at Hershey. Uh, so in our case, we didn't go to the the, 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 to, to the amusement park there, Hershey Park, right? But we went to the zoo uh, where look, we wore masks and I I thought everybody did a pretty good job, the people there working as well as the, the people visiting. And, um, you know, but there are things I wouldn't do still, right? We all have the things we would do and the, and the things we wouldn't do. There are people who are sending their kids to something resembling school, if not school itself. Now there are people who are keeping their kids home and so forth. So I, I, I think what, what you, uh, relayed there from Bain makes sense. I mean, that's, that's more of a data driven version of just kind of what I would think based on, on intuition. I, I should say also, Ben, you know, interesting with, with the question of American and United, the head of the allied pilots association, that's the, the as you know, the union that represents American pilots, uh, penned a rather lengthy editorial that ran on CNN's website. And, the editorial was about the need, in his view, for Congress to pass something. Uh, and and what, I say that only because it's interesting that you have the head of the APA at least publicly coming out, imploring government, not imploring the airline, right? That, that's that right now they publicly, and again, I'm sure all kinds of other things go on behind closed doors, but but for what it's worth, publicly, they're blaming the failure of a deal more than they're blaming the airline. And, and, and so I think that's uh, worthy of note. Um, well, you but- know, there's no
2: question that American has been the airline pushing for another deal more than any other single airline. I'm not saying that there aren't other airlines that would be happy to take more money. But, you know, it's it's been reported by many that... Doug Parker, American CEO, has basically been living in Washington, D.C. for a couple of weeks, you know, to try to to just try to make something happen and really make that happen. And so maybe the union sees, well, look, our CEO's doing that and they believe this is what the airline needs. So let's support them and say we need that. It could be that, too. It, that could be a case of where the union and management uh, have agreement that let's say hey, let's both implore the government to sort of help make this work better because we're not generating enough revenue to keep all of you employed. So if the government can help keep you employed while we figure out what's going on here, maybe that's good for both of us.
1: Does it hurt Americans case that United came to that deal, right? I mean, the, the more airlines that could credibly say, look, if you don't do this, then this other thing is going to happen again. I realize United, it's a short term deal. It's till November. They're, They're probably still going to be asking for, almost certainly going to still be asking for, uh, for more from, from government, but, uh, but does that hurt their case that, right? I mean, the more, the, the less you have of too big to fail, right? You couldn't have all four airlines, you know, just, just, you know, the, the specter of who knows a hundred thousand or more, uh, layoffs, but the, 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 less of a risk there is overall to employment in the industry and employment in the country, does get harder to get a deal done?
2: Yeah. Now, United's not saying they have a deal with all their unions, right? It's right. Private. Oh, of course. Yeah, it's, it's, so United it's limited. United would still potentially furlough a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. Bodies. Maybe not pilots, but bodies. And, and Delta's kind of – Delta said they're not going to furlough anybody right now or just not furlough pilots. Do you know what exactly um, what Delta? Yeah,
1: it, was, it was it was it was actually initially nobody except pilots, and then they did the basically the whole non union workforce, and then they did the deal with pilots. So at this point, nobody for now, you know, which doesn't mean forever, but but they have you know they've avoided that. For and now. I think
2: I think that's more of a risk for the industry. I mean, I don't want to say a risk for the industry, but if I were a legislator. Deciding, do I really want to give the airlines more money right now? I'd say, well, you've got Delta, a pretty big airline out there, who says they don't need to furlough anybody.
1: Right, Southwest, kind of abroad, also broadly for now, at least, doing the same thing. That's
2: right, and so you might say, well, if those airlines can do it, why do we have to do it for all these other airlines then? Like, what does Delta know that American United don't, or what are they doing that they're not doing? And if, and if that private company can sort of get themselves to a point where they don't need to furlough anybody right now? Why is it our problem as a government to help everybody else, given that there's at least one very big case that has solved the problem?
1: Yeah, and again, the the biggest distinction between those airlines is not what they've done to manage the crisis. It's the shape that they were in going into the crisis. Delta and Southwest just had far better balance sheets, a bigger war chest than uh, uh, United or certainly American, going into this. Let, let's go to the mailbag, Ben. Uh, you well, know, you...
2: before that, though, yeah. Seth, I've got one. I've got one. Um, you know how when you think something's too good a deal, you know there's got to be something wrong with it.
1: Yeah, that's right. All right.
2: So, so I'm going to give you one of those in an airline context. Okay. My nephew is getting married in Texas in November.
1: Congratulations. So,
2: well, thank you, and he's very happy and. Uh, The woman he's marrying seems terrific, and I'm very happy for both of them. But we're planning on going to to the wedding. I'm okay flying right now with the right precautions. I'll wear my mask. My wife will. My son will. Right? And uh, we know that when we're there, things will be okay, and we'll be able to do things all right there and make that all work. But um, so we go on the southwest side who flies nonstop from – Reagan National to Love Field, right, and they actually live closer to Love Field than DFW anyway. And lo and behold, we could get a nonstop flight at a perfect time there and back at the end of the weekend, seventy nine dollars each way per person.
1: Wow! Like wow! Like buy buy buy! Right? Type in Absolutely wow. on Southwest. You, you could you could you could like you could you could open a business of. You can open your own cargo business, right, and take – at each of you – there's three of you. You can take six bags for, like, the, right. other uh, other people and, uh, yeah, and, and, and more than cover the cost of your flight.
2: Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, we're feeling all great about this. And then, like, a day later, I get an email from Southwest is, well, your flight has changed, and now you're still flying nonstop to Dallas. But when you come back, you're going to have to connect through Midway area. Yeah. And get back to Washington like, you know, six hours later than you were going to get back. And I'm like, well, I don't like that so much. <laughs> so I go on their site and I put in my code and I say, and I say, well, all right. So they're not going to let me book a nonstop because they don't even show the nonstop anymore. I don't know if they're not flying it in November anymore or what. That schedules are so flexible right now. That part didn't surprise me. But I found, well, OK, there's this nice uh, there's a connection to Nashville. Which avoids, which is, as the crow flies, a little less circuitous than Chicago between Dallas and, and DC, right?
1: Yeah, and, uh, and, uh, also, and, and, and also, operationally, I think it's it's I'd probably rather fly. Yeah, through well there that's right, and, and avoid all weird yeah. space. Yeah, yeah and,
2: exactly. And potentially, you know, bad weather. Although it's you know November, it could snow in Chicago, right? All kinds of things. Like Nashville's just going to be better. So I I change it, and they accept the change. So now we're flying nonstop and going back through Nashville and I'm feeling okay about it until the next day when I get <laughs> another email from Southwest that says, well, we can't get you there on a nonstop either. So now you're going to, again, connect in midway to go to Dallas. <laughs> and that flight wasn't going to arrive to like 1030 or 11 at night, which would have been doable but just like very late especially with a 14 oh, man. year old so i go to their site again and found a flight through nashville <laughs> <laughs> there a little earlier so now our 70 we're still just paying 79 dollars each way and i feel good about that but now we're connecting in both directions spending seven hours of flight time in each direction for what was a three-hour nonstop. so if you ever think it's too good
1: a deal, it
2: probably is. <laughs> it is <yeah. laughs>
1: my advice: uh, see if American has any non-stops <laughs> that, uh, that, well, I that would, work out for you. Well, they're
2: to us for $79 each. That's, that's,
1: that's, yeah.
2: Yeah, and I was saying to my son, I said, you know, think about this. Like, we're taking, we're effectively taking 12 flights. I mean, each, each one of us is taking right. four flights. So we're yeah. taking 12 seat flights or whatever you want to call it about it. And they only charged us $79 like for that each, right? So that's th- – this can't be a good thing for Southwest either. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, not, not at all. Like literally the marginal cost of carrying right? At some point you're just not even covering your, your variables. No, uh, well – well, let's go uh, to the mailbag. I'm always telling people, hey, you can you can be negative. You can, you don't have to start off your, your email with, love the show. So Evan from Atlanta seems to have listened to us. He says, a little bit Hollywood in your answer to the White House question, if I may say. Somebody asked uh, last week what happens if a plane flies into restricted airspace. And, and Ben said, well, I'll scramble the fighters and shoot them down right away without asking any qu-. That's not what he said. but But Evan seems to have felt that it was a little bit too close to that. Evan says the White House is under a prohibited area called P-56. The difference being a prohibited area is always active versus a restricted area, which is turned on and off. Now, if you haven't turned off the podcast yet, I'll keep reading uh, because I know this is all riveting. P-56 violations happen more often than you would think and are largely minor deviations. Most often they occur on departure from DCA Runway 1, where the crew is made in FMS programming era, and the aircraft does not turn to the northwest along the Potomac in a timely ma- manner, or on the river visual visual approach to 19, where the crew loses awareness and lines up on the runway too far out. Uh, so for anybody who's flown into to Reagan National, that's, you know, the river, river visual is the famous approach, you know, you're coming in from the north, and and it's, yeah pilots are hand-flying it, and basically... D- d- really threading a needle, and it's beautiful, but they're also trying to avoid going into, uh, as as Evan has explained, the prohibited area, not and the restricted P- area. Vicks. That's right, yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, he says both cases are quick and transient, and no one is going to get shot down or intercepted by fighters. The result is a request to call ATC in a phone chat with a secret service agent. Airline crews would then be covered by in-house retraining, through their safety reporting program, embarrassing, but not as dramatic as you made it seem. Thanks for a great show. Well, he did say something. I said, um, "Evan, thank you." But I liked your version. Even if it was total fiction, I liked your version better. Of, of, well, uh, you know, of, of, like I a, mean- of like, a nuclear, uh, right? It was, it was. What was it? It was, it was like, like, like fission, wasn't enough. it? I was like fusion. It was like just the, just like empty the nuclear arsenal to shoot down. That uh, that CRJ that that uh, strayed like one inch off the uh, the approach. I like that. Vibe. I know.
2: Now maybe I'm going to sound a little defensive here, and I really <laughs> appreciate Evan Evans writing it because I I mean I didn't know what was called P56. I didn't realize okay. how common that was, specifically related to specific departures and arrivals at uh, at.
1: DCA And also the the, the terminology about permanent uh, as opposed to restricted, I I didn't know that decision. I've I've always called it restricted, which colloquial it is, but uh, but prohibited, uh, as Evan said, prohibited area as opposed to restricted area.
2: That's right. But if you go back and listen to that podcast last week, what I said, I think, was that – it wouldn't be a single mistake to go over the White
1: House. You did say that, yeah. You
2: would get caught long before that. And I said it's like 25 mistakes by the time you'd be over the White House. So what he's talking about is, yeah, they intercept these things real early and they're they're real minor things and it never gets to that. And he's right about that. But the writers, the person who asked that, I don't know if he was talking about what Evan's talking about, even though I'm glad what Evan said is really the fact he was talking about what if they really mess up and go over the White House. And so yeah. I don't know, Evan, like what, what would happen if they really went go over the White House? Is my Hollywood answer like still too Hollywood? I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're right. That, that was the question, wasn't it? What if they actually went over the White House as opposed to what if they just began violating the, uh, the airspace? But regardless, great information there by Evan. Thank you, Evan. Terrific,
2: Evan. Thank you. Another question next, but now it's time to thank Seabury Capital. Seabury Capital is a specialty finance and investment banking firm boasting a 25-year track record of advising key clients in aviation, aerospace and defense, maritime and financial services, and technologies. Their award-winning and widely respected team has superior industry knowledge along with state-of-the-art analysis, technology and solutions, as well as an unmatched depth of relationships with decision makers in industry, finance and government. And that's so important these days, especially. Explore their global reach and scale at SeaburyCapital.com. That's Seabury, S-E-A-B-U-R-Y, Capital.com.
1: Dan writes, very interesting discussion about frequent flyer program profitability. Aside from the potential profitability, assuming the airline's variable cost per mile uh, is is less than the mile sale price. Is the contribution that mile sales make to company liquidity? Uh, I understand that AA fended off bankruptcy for years thanks to the positive cash flow from mile sales. Comments. Uh, th- okay, so that's a, <laughs> a lot there. A very dense question. But basically, uh, it's easier when I'm looking at it, reading, than for you who are listening. I probably have to read it three or four times. But maybe for, for you to digest it fairly, because I know I would have to listen to it three or four times if I didn't have it in front of me. But anyway, basically, that, that discussion last week about, or, or in a recent episode about uh, frequent flyer, flyer pro- profitability, uh, Dan makes the point that uh, AA, American Airlines, that has fended up bankruptcy for years thanks to the positive cash flow for mile sales. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, there's, there's no question that there are airlines around the world that have survived thanks only to these things. In fact, the, 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 the detail about Air Canada selling Aeroplan we talked about that how they managed to flog Aeroplan for a huge sum of money and then buy it back years later for pennies on the dollar but when Air when Air Canada did that they actually did it from a position of weakness they they were in bad shape and that was okay well what do we do and they realized that they could sell Aeroplan for a lot of money now, again that's now hard to do precisely because of the the long-term experience with AeroPlan, but other airlines have done that. They've managed to to leverage those programs, and, and, and no question. I mean, when we look at the profitability that we've now seen disclosed by these airlines of these programs, and we think about the sums of money that America was losing prior to its bankruptcy in, I think it was 2011, right, Ben? Uh, then th- th- no, no question that the program is what almost certainly kept the airline liquid, and, and without it, Who knows if there would still be an American Airlines. I mean, they went bankrupt, but they managed to restructure thanks in no small part to uh, Advantage.
2: Well, that's exactly right. And for American United and Delta, especially with the largest frequent flyer programs in the U.S. and these credit card programs that are worth so much money to the banks that issue those cards, you know, the people who carry cards that earn airline points generate a lot of the total credit card spend in the United States. It really dominates credit card spend in the United States. People earning things and the thing they want to earn the most is either free trips or upgrades or things like that. And so it's not surprising. And since 2011, what the the industry has also done, in addition to these programs getting bigger and bigger, they've also gotten better deals from the banks. If you think about the total economics that a credit card might have, you know, the bank gets paid by every time you use the credit card, the merchant who takes the credit card pays the bank, um, you know, a charge, which is called the interchange rate. A lot of people with credit cards roll their balances. So they pay interest each month. Right. And so the bank is collecting a lot of money from that credit card. And, If you take all that money, what's happened now is that airlines have been able to leverage, their cards are so important and banks know that when they have a card that doesn't have an airline affinity with it and a card that does, the one that does, they sell so many more cards and people charge so many more dollars on it, that airlines have been able to leverage themselves into better positions with the bank where if you take the total pie from the credit card, the airlines are getting half of that pie now. And they used to maybe only get 20 or 25% of that pie. And if you look around the world in other countries, in other continents, no airline bank relationship has evolved that way yet. Like in Latin America, the airlines have credit cards, but the, the airlines hardly earn anything from the from the credit card. Right? Yeah, that's they get, that's they get little bits of it and the same in Asia and things like that. But if they but the U.S. has figured out the U.S. airlines have figured out, you know, we really hold the cards in this because if, you know, if they don't have our name on the card, they don't sell a lot of cards. And they've turned that into making
1: it much bigger business, not just in total, but for the airline specifically. And it starts with the size of the programs themselves. And I was actually going to make that point, but then you made it too. it. You kept saying in the U.S., in the U.S. It's not because we're in the U.S. that you're saying that. It's because that these programs are a much bigger deal in the U.S. And for all kinds of reasons, which we could fill another show with, programs in other places are much smaller, even in proportion to the size of the airline. So in other words, you know, companies like Lufthansa, Air France KLM, IAG, the parents of British Airways and and Iberian and others, uh, you know those companies aren't aren't meaningfully smaller than the U.S. airlines. They're a little smaller, uh, but their 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 loyalty programs generally are far far smaller. That that uh, disclosure by Delta last week that is has 100 million Sky Miles or whatever Sky Miles members or whatever it is, the European programs far far smaller. So a lot of reason why the bank relationships aren't as, as evolved and all the rest of it is just that the programs themselves. Because of all kinds of reasons, just more fragmented marketplaces and so forth, the programs themselves just aren't as big. Whereas Aeroplan, as you mentioned, in Canada, if anything, is, is, is more ubiquitous than any U.S. program uh, because largely uh, it, it's just a more consolidated marketplace there. You don't have as many different airlines. Well, Ben, for now it's time for the part of this show that we call The Tease right broadcasting you, you, you tease people say hey don't don't go anywhere because we've got this exciting thing coming up next but remember i was lazy this week so guess what no I tease seth I, I didn't i didn't write a tease so <laughs> if, so if you if you so here's all i have to say if you like what you've heard so far more no better but be, even better it's it, it's coming up next on airlines confidential <laughs> Hotel Connections is the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. Hotel Connections is a Fortune 1000 company and procures more than 30 million rooms annually on behalf of their clients. Hotel Connections makes travel management easier and less expensive with their AI-powered booking applications, intelligent learning algorithms, customizable rules engines, analytics, and global negotiated rate programs. For travel, logistics, hotels, transport, and technology solutions, visit hotelconnections.com. That's HotelConnections.com. They
2: saved us a lot of money when I was at SpiritSend.
0: The Airlines Confidential podcast is now available on Apple, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Pandora, Spotify, TuneIn, and many more. Use your favorite podcasting app with just one click at AirlinesConfidential.com.
1: With Ben Baldanza, I'm Seth Kaplan. This is Airlines Confidential. Back to the mailbag now, our friend Joe from Tampa. Ben, how, how do you not call Joe a product? You, you yelled at me last week for, for calling him that. I, mean, I know it's not a nice word, but...
2: <laughs> of course he's a yeah. friend of
1: the show. Yes, <laughs> he, <has, laughs> he has not one but two questions. This week. Okay, but Joe, you got to do us a favor. I mean, keep sending your questions, but understand if we like if we have to skip a week at some point, right? So... <laughs> Ben and Seth I am the biggest fan of the show. Oh never mind, Joe. You get you get to ask as many questions as you want every week. I hadn't seen that yet when I said that. Thank you, Joe. My question this week is again, yeah, it's questions plural. First one, why do airlines have high turnaround rates with some positions like fleet Service clerks. I guess it means turnover rates. Why, like, like, why, why do pe- people leave with some positions like fleet service clerks? Ben, I, I would have my guess, um, but uh, what's what's your answer?
2: Well, I, it's simply that those jobs don't pay all that much, right? And they don't take that long to train, um, and so the airline, you know. Well, let, let me let me say this, Seth. When when my son was much younger. He once looked at me and said, Dad, why do some people make more money than other people? And I thought it was a very interesting question from then a like seven-year-old kid. Yeah. And and I and I looked at him and I said, and I wanted to give him like a good answer. I didn't want to be flippant. And I said, Well, it really comes down to how many other people can do your job. And if a lot of other people can do your job, you don't get paid that well because if you don't want to do if you if you ask for too much pay, they'll just say, we'll get somebody else who will do it. versus if you're the only one who can do your job, you can get paid a lot, like LeBron James, for example, right? Yeah. He, he can do what most people can't do, so he can get paid a lot of money. And that that's kind of the answer here as well. I mean, it doesn't take a lot to train as a service clerk. As a fleet service clerk, yes, you've got to learn things. Yes, you, I'm not going to say you can just start on day one and be productive. You got to learn the systems, you got to learn the tools, but it's not like becoming a mechanic or a flight attendant or a pilot or anything like that. And so they don't get paid that much. And you know, maybe they get a, maybe they don't like the hours. Maybe they don't, uh, maybe they don't like working in the in the airport. Maybe they don't like the manager they have, or maybe they just get a job in another place for a little more money and leave. Right. And more, more and airlines and, are kind of better. okay with that. They don't yeah. want the, yeah. they don't want that kind of turnaround in their skilled roles like mechanics, flight attendants, and pilots. But for things like fleet service clerks and airline and airport kind of employees, there is a lot more turnover, and it, it's absolutely related to what they get paid versus what else those people can go do, and how long it takes the airline to train them.
1: Yeah, I, my my definition has always been, and I think basically it's it's it's. Uh, similar idea different words i've always said you get paid based on how big of a deal it is if you leave right whatever you're doing and, and and right so so in other words kind of flipping it instead of paid based on what you're worth paid based on how big of a deal it is if you leave and again same it's just semantics right if lebron james leaves certainly lebron james in his prime leaves uh, it, it's it's a really big deal to his team and uh look in in, in my field the journalism i mean i've done a lot of different things but if you ask me what am i fundamentally a journalist right most journalists don't get paid a lot of money and, and and i'm talking including some excellent people and why well it's a supply and demand of labor thing right it 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 just is is the reality that most people if they left it And that's that's a skill job. Most most journals have a lot of education and all of it, but it's just not that hard to replace them because there there's this imbalance. There are lots of people who want those jobs, and so that's kind of another way to look at it. Uh, And um, you know, with 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 these jobs, yeah, there's there's enough of a supply of labor. And what I think, Ben, and you probably know this better than I do, but it also depends on the city, right? The higher cost markets where airline people might get paid a little bit more but not really enough more to compensate and where the labor – where the bases of employees tend to be very junior, right, are the ones where I think you have more of that because it, it, it's generally a worse deal to have an airline job in New York City – than it is in, well, you mentioned Nashville earlier, or, you know, lots of other markets where it might not be cheap to live, but it's cheaper to live in than it is in New York City. And the people in New York City make get paid a little more, but they don't get paid that much more. And, and so I, I think there's there's that too. And so you see more turnover, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, right, Ben, uh, in, in, in those kinds of places where, yeah, I where it's right. just hard to live on a, on a, on, on a fleet service clerk salary.
2: Yeah, no, I I think that's right. And, and, you know, some of the things the fleet service clerks have to do just aren't that fun either. And so it's probably not a job that most people would want to do for a very long time.
1: Yeah, no, and I'm I'm grateful to to people that do it. But no, and, and look, there are people who plan to do other things for a living and just want to work for an airline for a little while. And I'm thinking of, one friend uh, who I'm not sure is listening, but who, who, uh, you know, worked in one of those kinds of jobs for an airline before going on to something entirely different, just because like a lot of people listen to the show an airline fan, a lot of people listening to the show have never worked for an airline. Other people working with uh listening to the show, uh, our, our career airline people in in one realm or another, and then yeah, you have people who uh, who and, and I, and I'm thinking of another friend now, same thing, who's just did, doing something entirely different, but worked for an airline for a couple of years because uh, that was just yeah, just wanted to to check that off the list. Get the play well, play you know, Seth, Seth it.
2: it reminds me of a joke that. An airline CEO told me once. That's not the funniest joke in the world, but it, it, it fits this right now. It does, it's, a, it's a story about a guy who gets a job at, for an airline, and he's assigned the job to clean the labs when the plane comes in, right? And so he's, he does that job for a couple of weeks, and every once in a while, like, the things spill, and he comes home just reeking of the lab and things like that. And his wife says to him, you know, why don't you get another job? And he says, what? And leave the airline business? (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs)
1: love it. Well, well, uh, Joe's other question quickly, Ben. uh, It says this next question is for Ben. That's you. Uh, I was reading an article online, Joe says, in which you had two complaints from passengers taped in your office at Spirit's headquarters before you left, one stating, Ben will run spirit into the ground. What was the craziest complaint you ever got from a passenger? <laughs> I love that question. Yeah
2: no that's a good question. Actually, Joe, I had like four or five complaints taped to the side of my wall because I thought they were really I thought they were just great in terms of the way they were written and like one of them one, one of them had this picture of a little devil on it. And it, and it was after we, we got we did a deal with a pretzel company to give people free pretzels on board and like for spirit to give anything for free was like an amazing thing. Right. But the deal with the pretzel company is we'll give them to you and you got to give them to the customers. Cause we want people to eat our pretzels. Right. And we want them to like them. So, so I get this, I get this, com- I get this complaint with this drawing of a devil. It says, aha i've got the newest idea we'll give our people free salty snacks and then charge them for drinks <laughs> and i read that and i said this guy's never been to a bar come on <laughs>
1: all right that that did not start its spirit well do you have a question for us you could call us 305-379-7429 and record a question we'll play it on the air You can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or you can jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website.
2: Finer wine is next, but first we want to thank CLEAR. Travel with confidence with CLEAR. Touchless, fast, safer airport travel. CLEAR's touchless identity verification is available in 34 airports nationwide, moving you quickly and without crowds through airport security. Enroll today at www.clearme.com slash airlines. That's www.clearme.com
1: airlines. Well, beginning our initial descent on today's show, it's time for a fine or a whine. We listen to an actual customer complaint, and then we talk about whether their complaint is fine or if they're just whining. Ben, you have a complaint. Yes, Seth.
2: Sergey of Venice, Florida, is complaining about American. Sergey writes, Today, I took a flight from Dallas to Sarasota, Florida, and was sitting in front of a lady with a dog where she did not use a mask, but was talking constantly loudly to her dog. So I called service personnel and asked why all of us on the plane with a mask, all of us on the plane had to wear a mask, and she was allowed to be free. Here was the answer. Because she has a sickness problem with breeding and he must have meant breathing, although <laughs> maybe she had a breathing problem too, right? We don't know, right? But what if that related to corona, of all of us on the plane, used the same circulated air with three dogs on this plane around and the lady with terminal illness. The company has double standards and force all people to limit exposed sick people to spread the COVID-19. They don't care about CDC guidelines. All they care about is a business mindset. Use someone else who is serious about your protection.
1: Wow, Ben. I mean, I thought at this point, there pretty much aren't any exceptions. It's, It's, you know, if you're two years old or older, you need to wear a mask if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, what do you think you're fine or why?
2: Well, I actually think this is fine. And I think the industry has, has caught up with him because I think there were exceptions like this being made and those, and those loopholes are, have largely all been closed. And when you hear about two, you know, families being taken off because the two-year-old won't wear a mask, or the pilot returning the plane to the gate because of something. I'm I bet this complaint happened relatively early in the masks are required period of COVID. If you remember there was a period where you weren't required to wear a mask on board, even after we knew about COVID. Then JetBlue, followed by a bunch of other airlines, said you have to wear a mask. But there were all kinds of exceptions, and now they pretty much said there's no exceptions anymore. You've talked about the 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 child that was on the spectrum, and you've made your own personal comments around that. So I actually think this is fine. I totally side with the customer.
1: Yeah, and uh, and in fact, then I think you're going to side with the customer even more when I tell you this. I just looked it up. This was from August 22nd. This is not that old. This is wow. This was after yeah, yeah. So uh, so this is not you know like late April when. Yeah, it was mandatory except when it wasn't kind of thing. So um, so assuming it's as Sergei describes it, yeah, that's one where
2: um, – You know, and if uh, – this is going to be a terrible thing to say about this woman. But if you have a really – have a sickness problem with breathing, should you really be traveling with three dogs? Yeah. I mean, what dog did you – know? I mean, m- most dogs shed or have some sort of hair. That can't be great if you have a breathing problem.
1: Yeah, there might be another solution on, it with your snake to do it. Not wearing a mask. <laughs> exactly. Well on Well on final approach now. That does it for Airlines Confidential this week. Not a moment too soon, right? Please fasten your seatbelts and ensure your seat belts to trade tables are in their upright and locked position. See, I had this part written, because it's the same thing I read last week, right? And remember, we'd love to hear your questions at 305-379-7429, or you can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website from the Airlines Confidential Studios. I'm Seth Kaplan. And
0: I'm Ben Balvanza. Talk to you soon. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.